Welcome, everyone, uh, to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. Uh, it's such a joy to worship with all of you. If you're here for the first time, uh, a real special uh, welcome to you. Um, it's so great to sing uh, together uh, about our God with the family of God. Welcome. Uh, before we get into our scripture and sermon, um, I just wanted to honor um, a couple of members of our congregation. Um, as you know, COVID's been raging on for almost two years now, and as a church, that means that things are really complicated. Complicated. And that means that it's really hard to do simple things that we used to do before. And in order to do the simple things that we need in order to be filled as Christians and as sons and daughters of Christ, um, we needed a team of people to help us to do things safely. And so at the very beginning of COVID, uh, we put together uh, a team called the COVID Task Force uh, who came together to uh, step up and talk about the really difficult, hard things. Um, no decision was easy. No decision was simple, and yet they answered the call um, to come and to help us to get back into in-person worship. There were like a thousand steps to just get us to gather like this again. But then uh, that COVID task force, which was asked just to help us to figure out how to come back in person, turned out to be help us do everything COVID-related. And so it was a really, really high task. And for this whole time, um, they've been serving with humility um, behind the scenes to make sure that everything that we do is done safely and yet still pressing the envelope to see what can be done, right? And so um, I just wanted to honor the task force today because we have uh, allowed or given them the green light, some of them to finish their task and the elders to step in uh, with them. Some of them will be continuing, but uh, several of them will be stepping down after the long stretch of service. And so I'm going to say all of their names, and afterwards, let's just honor them because they've served us uh, with such humility and diligence. Uh, we have Chris and Christine who are right here. If you guys are here in the room, can you stand up? Chris and Christine. Uh, we, also, we also have Elizabeth. I don't know if Elizabeth is here. Um, Jay Ahn, uh, who is not here. And Hank Kim. He's probably, Hank's always walking around somewhere. Sandra's in the back there. Did I forget anybody? Huh? And Grace Kim helped us with so many different things. And so thank you guys so much uh, for everything that you did um, and uh, really uh, help us to, to be back in service. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, today's scripture uh, is coming from Romans and, and Matthew. And so I'm just going to open up here to Romans 12. And I'm going to read you today's scripture, which comes from Romans 12, 1 to 2, and then Matthew 5. And so hear now the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this is Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and, and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Um, today I want to talk to you guys a little bit about culture and uh, how we are to be salt and light to the cultures um, that we're in. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to do something, in fact you might have needed to do something, but you didn't do it because you felt like in that circumstance, in that group, it wasn't the thing to do, and so you didn't do it? Or you wanted to, or you didn't want to do something, but in the circumstance that you were in, in the circle that you were in, it just wasn't the thing not to do. And so you ended up doing it. That we've all been in situations like that, right? And uh, when we're young, it's called peer pressure. Um, but we know that it's more complex than just peer pressure. It's culture. The culture of the places that we're in uh, influences individuals, And that's why uh, when you look at the beginning of the Bible, the first thing that God tells us to do is called the cultural mandate. We are called to not only be salt and light to individual people, but he has called us to actually be an influence in culture and in the various cultures that we are in. And we call that the cultural mandate. But as Christians, we've always had an issue with culture, right? We didn't know exactly how to relate to culture. We've either uh, kind of pushed it away and said, oh, it's just all evil and ruinous and bad. And so we pushed it away or we've just become a part of culture, just like everyone else. And because of that, we haven't really figured out how we should think about culture. But today here in Romans 12, Paul gives us a way to think about culture and how to enter into culture. He calls it discernment, how to discern, discern um, as we uh, become salt and light in this world. And so today I want to kind of bring out two things that um, we're called to do from Scripture. One, we're called to affirm culture. There's good in culture. And we're called to affirm culture by being present. And the second thing that the Lord is calling us to do is not just affirm the good in culture, but also to challenge the evil in culture, and push back and challenge the evil in culture by being transformed. And so those are the two things I kind of want to talk to you about today from Scripture. We have to affirm the good in culture by being present. And then we have to challenge the evil um, in culture by being transformed people in the gospel. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we really would just want to come to you and and say um, sometimes we just don't know what to do uh, with the cultures that are around us. Father, we pray that you would help us so that today, by the light of your word, that we would understand better what it means to be salt and light. I pray that you would transform some of the circles that we are in by today lighting the lamp at this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So, you know, as we begin, uh, let me just read the um, passage here in Romans 12 again. The second verse says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Um, As we start talking about culture, it's probably helpful to define culture. Um, Culture is a lot of things, and sometimes when we hear culture, we think about big culture, like what's written in the New York Times, and what's at MoMA, and the movements that are happening uh, transcontinentally around our world, and that is culture, but culture is also small, too. Culture, in a really simple definition, is basically what we make of the world, It's what we as humans make of the world, Um, what we make of the raw materials that God gives us in creation and what we make of the world. Whatever we make of the world, that's creation, that is culture. 
Um, so there are things that are tangible things, like refrigerators are culture, and tables are culture, and traffic lights are culture, and your jewelry is culture. That's all culture. But maybe the most powerful aspects of culture are the invisible things, the intangible things. Uh, the values that you have in your circles, that's culture. The expectations that you have, that's culture. The norms that you have in your life and around specific friend circles, that's culture. All of those things are the sometimes unseen and unspoken things that are culture. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to couples and ask them, do you guys pray together as a couple? Or do you guys have conversations about God inside of your marriage? It's just two people, right? And they'll sometimes, couples will say, no, we don't do that. And I'll say, oh, how come? Why, do, why don't you do that? And sometimes they'll say to me, it's just not what we talk about. It's just not done here. We just never did it. And it would be awkward and strange to do it because a certain culture has been set inside of our marriage. Isn't that interesting? It's just two people, and yet inside of one person and another person, there is a culture in their marriage. You have a certain culture with your friends. Those are the norms that they've set inside their marriage. Those are the values, the unspoken expectations that they have between husband and wife. That's culture too. And so there are big things, but there's culture inside of our relationships. And the Lord has called us to create culture because he has called us to be the image bearers in this world who have the image of God stamped into us. And so aardvarks are not supposed to create culture. Giraffes are not supposed to create culture. But we, as people who have the image of God stamped in our hearts, he has said, you create culture. And that call at the beginning of Genesis where he looks at Adam and he says, uh, multiply and fill the earth. That's called the cultural mandate because the mandate is for us to create culture because we are the ones that have the image of God stamped in us. And so we can stamp the image of God and the glory of God and the various things that we put into this world. You could look at it like this. Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the heavens and the earth. And the Psalms say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are stamped with the image of God and sing and emanate the glory of God. And then in Genesis 2, he looks at us and he says, now it's your turn. You create. You make culture. And because you have my image stamped in your heart, everything that you make should declare the glory of God. Everything that you create should sing about my presence. You should put my wisdom in the things that you make. Creation should whisper my name and my character in this world. You create now. And he's called us to be culture makers where we are. But we all know what happens in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, sin comes into the picture and sin comes into the world. But sin coming into the world is not as big a deal as sin coming into the heart of the architect of the world. Sin comes into Adam's heart and that's a big deal because now everything that man makes, sin is folded into culture. Sin is folded into society. Sin is folded into all of these different things. And now we have an issue. Sin and the glory of God coexist. But sometimes as as Christians, we just focus so much on the fact that culture is evil and that there's there's bad in this world. And, And that really throws us off because 
as people who have been called to be salt and light in this world, if we think that everything in this world is evil, then we have a really hard time seeing what's redeemable, what's good in this world. And that good, brothers and sisters, is still there. Do you remember uh, Jesus told the parable, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares? There's this grand field that these servants work, and there's a master who owns it. And in the middle of the night, one of his enemies comes, and he plants weeds into the field, tares. And the servants find out, and they go, and they go tell the master that this has happened, and the master says, an enemy has done this. And so now there are tares that grow along with the wheat. And the servants ask the master, what should we do, Lord? Should we just root it all out? Should we burn it up? Should we pull it out? Should we just start all over? And the master says what? No. Leave it. And he says, let them grow together. Let them grow together until the harvest. That's kind of our cultural situation. There is the glory of God, which is there. The goodness of creation is still there. And yet, sin is folded in. And sometimes we as Christians, we just want to step away from anything that is worldly, right? And we just say, ah, we're just going to huddle in the church and just wait till Jesus comes back and just start all over, right? Everything is a ruin. Everything is messed up. Especially if you watch the news, you get that impression. Everything is messed up. And so we're just going to be absent. And we'll just wait till everything starts up again, start fresh. But brothers and sisters, we know that that's not God's plan. This is the only world that he has given to us. He is not going to take us away from this world and to a different place. He's start all over. He's not going to do that. He's going to redeem this place. And that means that this world and this culture is redeemable. That there is good still here. There is good here, and we have to spend time understanding and seeing what that good is. When Jesus says, open the eyes and see the harvest, we have to be able to be Christians who understand that there is good here, and we have to be able to see that good. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to affirm this culture by seeing the good in this culture. And one of the ways that we do that is we need to be present. Uh, We need to be present When you look at um, scripture, you see this call for us to be present in this world and see the good. Um, Andy Crouch, he told a story once, he saw uh, somebody with a t-shirt on and it said, deliver us from culture, right? And you see what they did there, they took the Lord's Prayer, that part that says deliver us from evil, and they replaced evil with culture. Almost as if to say that evil is tantamount to culture. But that's not true, right? This world is God's world. And our call is not to leave and split and get out of here or to huddle in the church, but the call for us is to discern the good. Discern what God has put into this world. Let me read to you verse two again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change your mind. Let the fact of redemption Take hold of your mind. The fact that resurrection tells you that this world is going to be redeemed, let it transform your mind. And then it says, by that, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect in this world. There are things that are good in this world, but in order for us to see that, we need to be present. 
We have to be present. Let's be honest, as Christians, sometimes we don't see the good and and redeemable uh, aspects of the cultures that we are in because we're just too busy. We're just too busy. We're always going somewhere. We never make time to be present. But here's the thing about being salt and light. Salt and light aren't uh, things that need to move in order to operate. You know what they need to, to be? They need to just be there, right? Salt and light just need to be present. There are fairly stationary things, but when they are present, they make a difference. And so let me read to you Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. In the same way, be there, be on a stand, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The thing about salt and light is that they don't need to be extraordinary things. They're fairly simple things, but they do need to be there. And if they are there and if they are present, then they make a really, really big difference. Are you present where God has put you in culture? The cultures that you're in, are you present? If some of us are honest, then we're not. You know, we're not present. And, and because we're not present, we can't see what's redeemable, what is good in our culture. And when we go into culture, we get really nervous. And so instead of just being there, we say, we want to be trained. I don't know how to do this. I want the answers. And so we take apologetics courses and we uh, do evangelism courses. We learn like eight different gospel presentations. But then we avoid the places that God has put us. The thing about salt and light is you don't need to be extraordinary, but you do need to be there. You do need to be present. And nobody knows that temptation, maybe in this room, nobody knows the temptation to be absent from this world than me. You know why? Because I'm a pastor. And so that means that the gravitational pull of my life is towards you. The gravitational pull towards my life is towards Christians. And to spend all my time with Christians, I feel it all the time. And you might feel a similar thing. But you have to understand who you are as salt and light. You must be present. How long have you been working in the office where you are, but you don't know the stories of your coworkers? How long have you lived in your neighborhood, but you don't know the story and the, and the history of your neighbors? Are you present enough to actually be salt and light? You know, I know we have a lot of needs in our church, and there's a lot of areas we need you to serve, but if you ever come up to me and say, Pastor Dave, I know you guys need me to do this, and you guys need help here, but I need to make time to be present where God has put me in my neighborhood and in the relationships of my office, if you tell me that, I'll never be mad at you. Because that is your calling. That is where you are called to be. And sometimes when we're rushing past this world, and we're too busy, the world becomes a nuisance to us, right? They're always just in our way because we're on our way to do Christian stuff. And we just, we're not present. My brothers and sisters, open your eyes and see the harvest. There's good there. There's good in this culture. God has placed wheat here along with the tares and he is redeeming things. If anybody believes that there's good in this world, it should be us. We who believe that God created 
this world with his word and intention. And that God is going to redeem this world with the blood of Jesus Christ. If anybody believes there's good in this world, it should be us. But sometimes we're just not there, not present. We have to affirm the good of culture uh, with our presence. But secondly, not only do we have to be present and see the good and see what God is doing and the redeemable aspects of our culture, but secondly, we have to challenge the evil of our culture, don't we? Um, It's not just good, there's tears. Uh, And we have to be a part of challenging that in our culture. Let me read to you again Romans 2 and Matthew 5. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the second calling. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, salt was very valuable in Jesus' time, and it's not because people like their food salty, right, like we do as Americans, but the reason that salt was so valuable is because it was a utility. It was a preservative. You see, before refrigeration, um, things were always rotting. Things were always decaying. Death and, and rot and decay were very real things in a world without refrigeration. Imagine being in a house where things are just constantly in danger of rotting and decaying. That was first century Judaism. That was their world. And so salt was incredibly important in a time when everything is rotting all the time. And so uh, people were paid with salt. That's why we get the word salary, because a saline salary, it, it's, people used to get paid with salt. And that's why we also get the, um, the term, um, a worker worth his salt, Uh, because that was a form of payment. Now, the reason that you pay people with salt is because they really needed a lot of it. They needed it constantly because things were constantly decaying around them, and that salt was the only thing in between that food and decay and rotting. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying the only thing in between this world and decaying sin and darkness is you. You are there to stave off the rotting. You are there to challenge death as it comes into culture. And you are there as salt and light. Now the thing about rubbing salt on things is, as you can imagine, it could be painful to rub salt on a festering wound. And so I want to tell you that when you begin to live as salt in the cultures that you are in, you're not always going to get a pat on the back. You're not always going to get smiles, but oftentimes what you're going to get is you're going to get resistance and shock, and you're going to get people saying things against you. But ultimately, you being there as salt will heal. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples. Gossip. Gossip is a real part of our office culture, our, our uh, friend culture, our neighborhood culture. Gossip is a real thing, and it's all around. But my brothers and sisters, when you refuse to gossip, because you refuse to tear down people behind their back, people will take notice that you're not participating in that with them. Drunkenness, it's a part of this world. Drunkenness is a real part of this world. 
you know, we're quickly, um, I think, approaching a time when the United States may have widespread use of recreational drugs legalized everywhere. If you're a young person in this room, you know it's coming. All of us do. If you're a parent in this room, you know it's coming. How will the church exist in a nation where recreational drugs are legalized and everywhere? Where drunkenness is a part of our culture. I mean, it is already. Peter says something interesting about that in 1 Peter 4. He says that he's talking to people who are coming out of kind of that Gentile life, that, that um, non-Christian life, and he, he warns them. He says, look, when you change and you begin to live in the light, 1 Peter 4, Peter says, they will find it strange that you don't participate with them. They will find it strange that you don't partake with them. Isn't that like right bullseye with what's happening right now? If you're a young person in this room, if you're under the age of 30, when they will say it's legal, it's harmless, it's fun. Why are you not joining us? Peter says they will find it strange that you don't participate. But then he says this, 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You're set apart. And when you take a stance against drunkenness, you will be salt in that place. Thirdly, complaining. Complaining is such a big part of our culture, especially our work culture. Complaining, complaining, complaining. Some of us are really good at complaining. Right? We've, we've kind of mastered it like an art. But complaining is a rottenness. The grumbling of our hearts is a rottenness in this world. And when you refuse to be a part of a complaining culture, always just grumbling and being negative, you will be salt where you are, in the very places where God has put you. In fact, Paul in Philippians, he uses complaining as one of the measures of being light in this world. Read uh, Philippians 2.14 with me. He says this. Do everything without grumbling, that's complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, if you don't engage in that, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. There's so many ways that the Lord has called us to go into our culture, not just see the good and affirm the good, but also challenge the rotting by being salt and light. And ultimately, what that does is, even though there may be a harsh reaction because you, they find it strange that you don't partake with them, it will ultimately bring healing to the places where God has put you. There's this great story in um, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, it's about work. It's a story about a woman who lived um, in New York and she came to Redeemer and her life was changed at the church. Uh, but it's a story about how she came to Redeemer. And how she came to Redeemer is she works um, in television. And um, it's a very cutthroat environment. It's a very difficult environment. Strong hierarchy. You know, a very difficult place to work um, if you're on the wrong side of things. But this lady in New York City working at this television network, she made a big mistake. Uh, a career-ending mistake. Kind of mistake that... She knew she was going to get fired. She knew she was going to get yelled at. She knew all of the consequences, and she knew it was coming. She made this huge mistake, and then she came to work, and then nothing happened. Then she came to work the next day. Nothing happened. 
She was wondering what, why, what's going on. And then later on she found out that one of her boss's bosses, the reason why she wasn't facing the consequences of her actions is because one of her boss's bosses actually took the blame for her. And so this was so unusual in television network culture that she went to his office and she said, why did he do this? Why did he take the blame? Because you know and I know in in the culture that we work in, this doesn't happen. Nobody does this. So why did he do that? And he kind of shrugged it off and he said, look, don't worry about it. Let's just put it behind us. Let's just move on. And she said, no, I want to know why you did this. Because in our culture, this just doesn't happen. And she kept pushing him. She kept pushing him until finally he said, fine, I'm only telling you because you're pressing me. But listen, I'm a Christian. She said, so? Yeah, I'm a Christian and, and, and we believe that we made a lot of mistakes and we sinned and we did a lot of things that there were real consequences for. But as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ, he came to earth and he actually took on the blame for all the mistakes that we made. And because he took on the blame that we were saved. And I really believe that. And so I, I did that for you. And she said, what church do you go to? And she ended up at Redeemer and her life was changed. You see, he shocked the culture of that broadcast network He shocked the culture because that culture didn't have that. But he was actually transformed by the gospel and he was changed by the gospel and by being present and transformed at the same time, he not only recognized the good, but he also challenged that culture and brought healing to this woman. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then if you can do that, then you'll be able to discern what is good, acceptable, perfect. You will be the salt of the earth, staving off decay and bringing life to a place where things are always rotting. You are the salt of the earth. That's the call. And here, Paul is calling us to be transformed by walking in the Spirit. You know, oftentimes when we think about being salt and light, we want answers. We want to know exactly what to say to people. We want to know the gospel presentation. We want to practice how we say it. That's all fine. But when you look at the scriptures, what I see is that there are too many things to prepare for. You can't have all the answers for everything that you're going to face in this world. To be salt and light, you're not going to just memorize a couple of sheets of answers and go out into this world. You actually need transformation. There's this great place in Luke 12 when uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about uh, when they're called up to be tested before the authorities, when persecution comes, and he's kind of training them what they should say in that moment, right? And I can imagine that when Jesus, he brings up this topic, the disciples are leaning in. Okay, he's going to tell us exactly what to say when we're arrested, when we're put on the stand, exactly what we're going to say. They're leaning in, and then Jesus says this in Luke 12, 11. He says, do not be anxious about what you should, how you should defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's it? We thought you were going to tell us what to say. And Jesus says, no. You have to be transformed. You have to walk in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, changing you, will put you 
in a place where he will tell you what to say. He will lead you in that moment. If you want to challenge culture, and we all have to, you have to be transformed. You have to let the Holy Spirit come into you. If you don't, you will become a Pharisee to this world, just telling them what's wrong and what's wrong and what's wrong. Never inspiring, never loving. But if you are transformed, not conformed, then you'll go into this world and you will actually be salt and light. Two things I want to close with quickly. We're talking about going into the world and being salt and light, but you know, one of the things that we have to address in the church is us. You know, before we go into the world to be salt, I think that one of the things that we have to address is we need real transformation in our Christian culture, in our church friendships first. It's like an inside-the-salt-shaker conversation. We have to talk among salts first. And the thing that we have to talk about is, very honestly, sometimes we are just like the world, except we're in here. And honestly, that's the most destructive thing about our witness, is that sometimes we don't want to be in the world doing worldly things, but we just bring all that worldly stuff into the church, and we get drunk, with our Christian friends, we lust after money with our Christian friends, we gossip with our Christian friends, and honestly, that's one of the reasons you don't wanna be a witness, because you know you just drug the dirt outside into the church, and at that moment, they have every right to challenge our witness. It's a hard conversation, but I think it's a conversation we need to have. What's the culture of your Christian friendships? When we do that, brothers and sisters, from a witness standpoint, it's the most destructive thing we could do. Then at that point, we're absent from this world because we don't want to be there, but we're sinful in the church. It's a double-edged sword that completely annihilates our witness. I think we need to have some honest conversations with our buddies, with our friends, what are we doing? We're not transformed, and we're not present. My brothers and sisters, I know it's a hard word, but I think it's very important that we have these conversations inside of our Christian friendships. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need real transformation, even in our Christian circles in order for us to be salt and light. Lastly, not only do we need transformation, but we need simple presence. Um, last Friday, and I'll close with this, I promise, I'm going long. Um, last Friday, I held a poker night at my house, and I invited um, uh, some guys from my town. Uh, you know, I've been in, in my town for about three years or so, and I've been making friends with the people who are in my town, and I finally decided to have them over, all of them over my house, or a good number of them over my house for a poker night. Now, I'm not a, I don't really even know all the rules of poker, um, but I thought that this was something that the guys would like. And so I invited them over. Um, I borrowed Moses' table. By the way, Moses, I put your table back. <laughs> it's in the office. <laughs> It's a great table. Couldn't have done it without him. Um, but uh, I had a little poker night, and then um, I invited some guys, and one of them couldn't make it because um, 
he was sick. And so I saw this other guy on the street, new, he newly moved into our neighborhood. And I said, hey, you want to come up over to my house tomorrow night? And, you know, if a stranger says that to you, normally you'd be like, oh, <laughs> get away from me. But he, he was like, yes, because he was new to the town. And so he wanted to make friends. And so he actually said yes. And I was surprised. I said, great, I live right over there, uh, 405. And then the guys came over and uh, we played poker. And I just, it was simple. I, set, I got some pizza, I set up some dominoes and some chips. And um, they stayed till 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> Not playing poker. It was interesting because those of you guys who play poker know that in the middle of poker, like it gets intense, you want to see the cards and stuff. In the middle of hands, they were just talking for like 10, 15 minutes. In the middle of the thing happening. And, I mean, there was one guy who kind of liked poker, and he was getting a little frustrated. Like, come on, I thought we were playing poker. Um, But it was interesting. They talked about how much pressure there was in raising kids in our town. I live in Ridgewood. The pressure. They talked about how hard it is to have kids and then have aging parents. They talked about how disconnected they feel. And they talked about all that kind of stuff. I was surprised. I didn't share the gospel with them. I didn't say anything, I didn't do a gospel presentation, I didn't, I was just there. But I saw them connect, and they wouldn't leave. <laughs> they loved it. And you wouldn't believe how many times they thanked me that night, just for opening up my house. And um, interestingly, a couple of days after, I was taking uh, Mia to school, and I ran into a couple of their wives. And their wives came up to me, and they said, Dave, thank you so much for having poker night. Now, if you're not married in this room, you don't know how much of a miracle that is to hear from a wife. (laughs) Because wives don't normally (laughs) like their husbands going out and playing poker and drinking beer until two in the morning. But they said, my husband didn't come home drunk. My husband didn't come home angry about some poker hand. But he came back calmer. And two of the wives said the same word. They said, they really liked the vibe of the house, of the night. They're not Christians, none of them are. And so they don't know our vocabulary, but I know exactly what they were saying. You see, my house has the dwelling of the Holy Spirit because I'm a Christian, because God is dwelling in my heart, and my home is a place of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And they may have thought vibe was the best word, but I know what it was, it was shalom. It was the shalom of the Holy Spirit that they entered into. I put out some pizza and some chips. I didn't make a gospel presentation. But I believe that by being their friend, I can bring some peace and the peace of Jesus to their lives. I believe that that's part of being salt and light. It was not anything extraordinary. But brothers and sisters, if you slow down and you take time to be present, in the cultures that God has put you. You come near to the Lord and actually experience transformation. Then you too can be salt and light where he's placed you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and the Lord will help you. Let's pray. I think that in this time of prayer, we have a lot of things to do, but one of the things I would encourage you to do is to enter into repentance. Maybe you need to repent about maybe not being present 
or you need to repent about just being just like the world. But in any case, I want to tell you that there's tremendous grace, that God has called you to be salt and light, and he has everything available for you, and that today he wants to move your heart to have the lamp lit during this service so that you can go out into the world and engage and see the good and bring peace and love and to bring healing, challenge. But you need to first go to God. You need to go talk to him. You need to go receive the transformation that is available through the Holy Spirit. Let's all go to our Father. Let's go talk to him about this. Let's hear him talk to us. Let's pray. we come in confession to you first in repentance because we just confessed a thousand times we failed in a lot of different ways we failed in being present we failed in being transformed we failed in so many different ways we keep lost count but praise be to God your mercy remains so Paul says if mercy remains by the mercy of God do not be conformed to this world But by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lord, we pray that today as we worship together and respond to your word, that you would provide transformation to us. We don't want to be the same. We don't want to be just like the world, but we need transformation. We can't do it on our own. And so, Father, from the inside out, change us. From the inside out, make changes, shifts in our hearts. I pray that some people in our neighborhood, our workplaces, the cultures in which we live, they would experience shalom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and let's respond with song and our gifts.